The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Joanne Mercier. Hi, Joanne. Hello, hello. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thank you. Uh, let's get right into it. Uh, today, our first topic today is an interesting one. There is a an analyst. So I, I want to be clear on this. This is not s- something that has been announced or or is even rumored, but it's an idea that uh, some financial analysts are are throwing out there of what could happen. And what the, the, this analyst, uh, something I forget their name already, but they're Gene Munster, who's a longtime analyst. Uh, financial analyst who looks at Apple a lot, says Apple should, and perhaps other companies, should begin to offer hardware subscriptions. And yeah, they are from Loop Ventures is the name of their their, their analyst firm. So I give them credit. And so already you can do an iPhone, there's an iPhone upgrade program where every year you pay a monthly fee and you get you get to upgrade your iPhone every year, which which is essentially a subscription. What they think is, should happen is that, or that Apple might do, is that they will expand that to include iPads, Macs, Apple Watch, etc. And then you would begin to have, you would be able to uh, periodically, and we could talk about how often that should occur, uh, turn in your old device and get a new one. And and you're paying a monthly fee for that. And we've seen that with other hardware sorts of things. And we've already done this with phones for a long time with the, the uh, carriers. So what do you all think? Would, is this something you would want to do, a hardware subscription service? What would you want to be part of it? What would you be willing to for hardware? Uh, and this doesn't have to just be Apple. It could be other companies as well. And how much do you think would be a reasonable price for such a thing? So uh, let's start with you. Joanne, would you subscribe to an Apple hardware program? This one's tough because I I tried the iPhone one and I ended up keeping it it three years. So it's not like I'm one of the, okay, I'm a boomer. All right. And I, (laughs) when I get something, I keep it as long as I need it. But I'm also a geek, so I like the latest and greatest. It's a really tough call for me. Um, I'm not sure I like software stuff in subscription, so I don't know how hardware. My last my last uh, MacBook Pro was five years old. So I'm not sure if this is made for me. It's probably made for, you know, the younger set, but I'm just not sure it's it's something that's made for me. How about you, Father Corey? Is this something that would be attractive to you? Well, I mean, just a reminder that I'm running on a Hackintosh. So, um, <laughs> exactly. you know, it, it, it isn't actually my thought was if they do it like a lease model, like they do with cars where you lease it for a couple of years and you turn you can either buy it or turn it back. I wouldn't mind being the guy who goes and buys the two year old MacBook Pro because, you know, it's still going to be a very good computer. You know, you're still going to get quite a few years out of it and you know, they're going to cut 
easily a third, if not half of the price off. Right. You know? And Apple always, if they sell something refurbed, it's like factory new and it comes yeah. with a warranty. Because yeah. they'll take it back. They'll polish it up. They'll make sure everything works, make sure it's all updated. Uh, so that, I mean, I for those of us who like to own our own equipment, like I'm, I'm the guy who buys the, you know, I don't do the paper. Well, I do the paper month, but it's the paper month to own your phone, you know. That so that by the time you're done with it, you're basically making a, a loan on a phone is what you're doing. But then once you're done with it after you know a year or two, you own the phone; it's yours. So, I mean that 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 I could see is the big advantage for someone like me. I could see a lot of people, and and I would disagree that it's necessarily younger people. I can see a lot of people that if if Apple went to them and said, "You like iMacs or iPhone, i uh, MacBook Pros? You like Macintoshes? But what do you do with these ones when you're done with them?" Well, how about we just make it so you don't have to worry about it? And every two years, we send you a new one. And I can see a lot of people, again, like the lease, because there's a reason why car manufacturers offer leases, because a lot of people do like them if they're not going to drive as much. Like for, for me, it would make absolutely no sense to do a lease on a car. But for something like this, I could see people saying businesses. I could see a lot. I know this has been in practice, actually. I know in business for a very long time. Right. There's the old saying, you know, buy what appreciates, lease what depreciates, and right. computer equipment depreciates. And you're right. Apple has had institutional leasing programs for ages, for schools, for, I've, for many churches I've worked with. They've had, they, I know that they've done leasing, and every two, three years, they, they get a new, new Macs or new PCs or whatever it is that they, that they do. And those are usually done through third-party companies. But to bring this to the consumer would be interesting. I... I mean, yeah, I think about it. It would be you usually have to be a fairly good sized company for that for the leasing to make work in the current leasing programs. But if I could with say with uh, SQPN, uh, my iMac is feeling a little slow compared to these new M1s out there. When the new M1 iMacs come out in 2021, <laughs> I'm like, hmm, I could edit at top speed, you know, edit these shows. If I could just, you know, oh, it's time to time to swap up, time to get a new one. Um, IMAX, Max in general last forever, you know, five years or more. Uh, that's an, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. And the, of course the question then is, is how much, uh, you know, right now, like I saw the number was to, to the iPhone upgrade program for an iPhone 12 is third, which including Apple care is 34 bucks a month. I'm going to guess uh, if you you if you were to be comparable percentage wise, an iPad Pro would be probably twenty five bucks a month. A Apple Watch would be ten bucks a month. Uh, I, I might pay ten bucks a month for get a new Apple Watch every year. I don't know. What do you What do you think? Well, with hardware, as as someone who has leased cars before and will never do it again, it depends on what they write into the. The contract saying you can do this, you can do that, you can't go over this, you can't go over that. Are they going to start saying you can't do certain things with it? Or are they going to say, you know, if you drop it, for example, now apparently you'd have to have Apple Care, but even though if you drop it, what happens? You know, is it your fault? Do you have to pay for anything? You know, and then what happens if you give it back in two years and it's not in great condition? Some people do not know how to take care of their toys. So are they going to, you know, take money off? They're going to charge you more. Those are the things we'd have to think about. 
Certainly. That, that is definitely true. And, and again, different companies would have different policies. Apple has re- generally been generous with uh, warranty repairs and that sort of stuff. If you drop it, like when I had broke my screen on my iPad, you know, I had a 50, I had to pay $50 under Apple care to replace it. And I could see them including that, but other companies may not be so generous. So you'd have to look at them one by one. Yeah, it, it definitely. I, I would think Apple would make sure that, you know, just like they are with the iPhone trade in program, you get Apple care as part of the deal because Again, they're going to if they do lease for two or three years, they're going to want to be able to resell this device, you know, and there probably will be conditions like if the device comes back, a biohazard situation where, you know, you, you, you've seen those computers where the person is like constantly eating in front of on top of them. And they're basically there's more chips in the computer than there is, you know, in the bag <laughs> they're eating from. Um, then, yeah, the, the uh, Apple is going to charge them for that. But I, I would I would venture most people, I would argue, do treat, you know, expensive electronics pretty well. All in all, most people do protect their expensive electronics. Apart from their phones. Of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> true. True. There. That's true. Yeah. Well, even even yeah. phones. I mean, I, I mean, how many of how many people do we know? Just average Joe users, not even geeks, have even just a basic case on their phone. They do. But but also think of how many people, you know, who have right now their phone has cracks in the screen. I have um, friends le- that have that. <laughs> uh, nearly everyone under the age of 25, I know, <laughs> unless yeah. their phone is under under four months old. Younger. Uh, yes. But I, you know, yeah. I, again, I, you yeah. know, I, especially let's just say adults. Yeah. I think most of us treat, you know, yeah, most most people again. We can think of the people with the beater cars, but most people treat their cars fairly decent because they know the investment in the car. Most people treat their expensive electronics. Now, I'm not talking about the $400 Walmart special laptop. You know, if they buy a good laptop, they're going to care for it because they know the money, the $2,000 they spent on a new MacBook Pro, for example. Right. If And does that change the mentality if, if, I, think, if I think it's not mine that i bought but i'm paying a subscription on it and it's not really mine i'm going to turn it in do people get more careless or less careless Uh, if there's a penalty or or if they have to pay for damage at the end maybe i mean there's already there's already a trade-in program right you can trade in your old phone or laptop or whatever and when you're buying a new one so there's a little and they they grade it based on damage and that sort of thing uh they tend to be again apple tends to be a little lenient in that regard i haven't seen uh, you know i think people get what they expect if you have a cracked screen or a ding in it you're you're getting going to get fair condition as opposed to good or like new uh but yeah if you put if you put a, a screen protector on if you put a case on it i my wife's macbook has a case on it because she's destroyed three of them uh <laughs> by pouring water into them Oops. uh so so now she gets a a, a case and a uh a keyboard cover so that we're, we're trying to stop this trend and she's been she's done a good job so far it's been a year knock on wood <laughs> but uh but if if you're if you if you do that you take care of your stuff yeah i think I, and i'm not sure i would do it for everything i think a watch subscription for might make sense you know upgrading that watch every year if if it were every year um it's a hundred. If it were ten bucks a month, that's one hundred twenty bucks a year. These watches go for about three hundred bucks. I don't know. It, 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 that's iffy for me. So, 
I may not be the the ideal one for that sort of thing, I guess. Well, and, and I mean, something like a watch is something that by nature is going to get beat up because oh, yeah. you're going to be doing things and you're going to scrape it against the door and you're going to hit this. Although, and you're, you know. I, I got to tell you, this Apple Watch looks pristine and I am not the most gentle user of, of <laughs> Sumer Attack. So yeah. they've gotten uh, they better. They do a good job. They've gotten yeah. better because I've had series one, series zero, three, and now five. And I think that the glass has gotten a lot better. Either that or the pandemic just doesn't allow me to bump into yeah, anything. I have no idea. <laughs> now, now what we've been talking about the hardware, which honestly, I think that makes sense to offer. Now with the software, that's already a trend. Oh, yeah. Is, isn't it for Adobe Edition, their mm-hmm. DOM? Right. Well, right. We as SQPN pays for a well, we get a nonprofit price on the Adobe Creative Suite. And uh, so it gives me access to all the different stuff, most of which I don't use. But uh, because it's a nonprofit thing, it's it's actually fairly inexpensive, which is nice. And even on the individual level, you could uh, get Photoshop and Lightroom for 10 bucks a month, which which is interesting if that's in your if that's the sort of thing you need. Although there are third-party programs which are cheaper and in some cases arguably better uh, like uh, some of the affinity and uh, stuff like that but the idea is that software as a service is already a thing it is already here and it's becoming more and more common it drives me nuts because i mean that's basically the model of windows now is it's not so much you buy licenses to windows it's you buy a license and they just keep upgrading it because they make their money off of office 365 which is the same thing. You pay so much a month for all the office suites. Um, you know, so that's not out of the realm of possibility that we can see Final Cut Pro as a... The Apple software as a suite. As a suite, as yeah. a, a paper year. You know, like right now I've got my... I still have my license of iMovie from back, my original iMac, you know, in 2009. You know, and I can see Apple saying, no, from now on, you got to pay five bucks a month for iMovie well, or something. But all that stuff is free, though. Like right. all the iWork suite, um, well, uh, GarageBand, uh, free. M- movie. Yeah, I mean, well, you don't pay it for it. If you want well, a Mac, so that's you why I said I've got my license for iMovie. If I didn't, if right. I hadn't bought an iMac through Apple, I wouldn't have at that time. Oh, you had to have a license from buying a computer right. from Apple oh, to right. get mm-hmm. it, or you had to buy it at that point. But now if it's free. Well, yeah, but if you've bought a Mac, you know, anytime in the last 10 years, you have access to all of that software. The, the, so the point that, is that that model of having a license for the rest of your life, as long as you can, you know, find the install media or whatever, is going away. I suppose. I, I mean, I, it, de- it depends. Um, I, I'm a little bit more happy with software, you know, subscriptions, because then I get the the uh, upgrade all the time and not, not shelling to, and out not, yeah. right, and not have to think about okay do i have to go buy this new one because it's not and i need it for certain things like before we started today hijack audio hijack said to me here you know you need to update and it did and and then it started telling me what it can do now so now now that i know it's okay for big sur <laughs> thinking about That's that but the the point with the software subscriptions is that it's an easier way of updating your guts. The housing, however, a lot of us kind of keep the housing because we're familiar with it. Okay, when I went from a from a from a MacBook Pro without a Touch Bar to a Touch Bar, it took me six months to decide to even try to use it. 
because I wasn't sure. I, I wasn't sure about it. I was like, yeah, let me just leave the things on here that I know. Within the last couple of months, I've started to see the value of using it for certain programs. And it's like, okay, now I can do this. And I think that's where the difference is going to be. People are okay with software subscriptions, but hardware might be a little bit, that might be a little too funky for people. I think there are a lot of people happy to stick with the hardware for longer, uh, you know, than, than with the software. Uh, so for me, software subscriptions, I, was, I wasn't on board at first. Um, in fact, Setapp is the sort of the Netflix of software of Mac software subscriptions, where you pay a monthly fee and you get this all any of the software. You can use any of the software in their catalog, and it didn't drop for me until they had a lot of these programs that I already use that I was paying for. In fact, a few that I was paying an outside subscription. Now it became a case of the what I'm paying annually if to Setapp is less than I was paying to upgrade the software annually. And that, that is when it shifted. But I, I get your point, Father Corey. Like it, there was a time when you own the disc, you, you, you own the right to use that, that software as long as the hardware and operating system I mean, well, supported let, it. Let, let's be honest. How many people used, say, Office 97 forever? You oh, know, yeah. Office 95, My Office husband. 97. And because... It worked, and not just did it work in you know Windows ninety eight when it first came out. It worked all the way into XP and Vista, and people were still able to use it. What was the the Mac Word version that was like? It was Word six was awful, but it was Word the previous version. I forget which one it was. Was the good one? And so I I remember this is ages ago, ancient history, folks. Uh, when people would refused to upgrade to Word 6 and held on to the Word 95, I think it was. I forget what it was. Uh, and and kept using it long after it had been retired because Word 6 was so terrible. But if you're on a subscription, you know, you've, you're, 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 you're constantly saying, no, no, don't upgrade it, don't upgrade it, or you have to live with the, the, new, the new software. So I get that. I get that. But I, I, do, I do agree. I think people would be more, more open to software subscription. Um, especially again, as computers become more, um, uh, toasters, basically, you know, where, where you don't really think yeah. about, you don't more think like about upgrading your toaster, the toaster breaks, you throw it out, you buy a new one, you know, right. they're appliances. There, yeah. And certain things at you, know, like a phone, there are new, new models every year. It's like cars, you right. Computers aren't the same. Like we're, we expect now every fall for there to be a new iPhone. We expect every, was it July, there to be a new Pixel, right? I mean, or something along those lines. Or at uh, least Samsung. Yeah. I guess Google's not as clockwork, but like Samsung has a new phone every year. And like we expect phones to have new models every year. I could see that as an upgrade thing. Uh, same thing with like apparently smartwatches now are upgraded on a regular basis. Um, I think iPads are doing that, so tablets. But computers, we don't get new models of our compu- of this of the particular computer we use every year. And Mac people buy Macs, but in the Windows side, like I might buy a Dell, I might buy a Lenovo, I might buy, and the in that case, I think the manufacturers may like the idea of a of a subscription because it keeps people loyal to their brand. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Whereas for the consumer, you're locking yourself into a brand. Exactly. Mm, that's a, that's an interesting question then too. Well, uh, it, you, it, I mean, it, these there are people who you know I've bought you know 
you know, I just this is kind of a theoretical, but there's you know I've bought IBM ThinkPads back in the '90s, and they were great computers. And Lenovo took them over, and they're still great computers. And I still buy ThinkPads to this day, you know. And they won't look at a Dell. They won't look at an HP. That you know, which you know, their high end units are just as good as ThinkPads. But you know, they're locked into that business. It's it's just like people who who are just going to buy a Ford or they're just going to buy a Chevy because Grandpa bought Chevys and Dad bought Chevys and so <laughs> I'm buying a Chevys. You know? Yeah, We're a, yeah. <laughs> well, I must be a consistent person. I've had Max since 2010, and I've had Subarus. I'm on my sixth Subaru. Yeah, <laughs> so I must be. <laughs> Uh, I'm not. I'm not a locked in on a car model, but I've been a. I've been an Apple guy since about 1980. So there you go. <laughs> so, there you go. Uh, that's. But that's me. All right. So let's. Uh, so we want to hear from from the listeners. Like, hey, is, are, would you go for a hardware subscription of any sort, whether it's Apple or Google or Samsung or whoever, Dell or whatnot? What would be? What would? What would be the reason you would go for it? What would be the price point you would pay? What kind of hardware would you subscribe to? Uh, let us know. We'll see what you think. So let's uh, move to our next topic. Uh, this one is is something that people have been asking about because you you've been getting these <laughs> in your email uh, from Google. Google has some policy changes that that they're implementing lately, and uh, there's a couple we want to talk about today. We we talked about their change to their Google Photos storage. We talked about that a few weeks ago, and how they're if you're not a Pixel owner. You're going to start next year. You're going to start to see limits on what you can upload. So we've already talked about that. But this one is you may have got an email that tells you that uh, they have their new storage policies for Google accounts for that use all of all of their services, whether it's Gmail or Drive or Photos or whatever, about inactivity. If your account becomes inactive for 18 months, they could delete the account. And so. Uh, if especially if you're over quota, so every account comes with 15 gigabytes of free storage. You can you can buy more. Uh, when you're over quota, which is you're using more than 15, they start to give you notice, and um, after a while, they will begin to delete the stuff over quota. Uh, I'm trying to look at uh, the. It doesn't give an exact. If you've been over quota for two years or longer. That's what it is. They give you two years of being over quota to fix the situation. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of generous. Uh, they also have an inactivity uh, message about if you don't use your accounts for two years, they may delete it from their, their servers. You, you're obviously not using it. And so just delete. Of course. So let's talk about that. What do you think of these policies, uh, both the over quota and the inactivity policies? So. I, I, the over quota makes sense. Um, you've got this much space. Don't go over it. Now, they, they say that if you stay over quota for too long, they just blow it away. They just blow away your account. It's gone. Um, it's not like they're going to we're going to pick data to get rid of. It. It's like it's all gone. Um, but they also restrict what you can do with your account. So, like, for example, with Gmail, if you go over quota, you can't send or receive messages, which means your Gmail account is pretty much useless. Uh, Google Drive, obviously, you can't upload anything new. Uh, Google Photos, same thing. Um, so I think that one kind of makes sense. Of course, Google is, they're doing this. They started out like Gmail was like absolutely unlimited. It didn't even have a delete button. I mean, that was kind of the joke way back when that, uh, um, that uh, 
Gmail, when when the delete button finally showed up on Gmail, I remember cartoons, you know, web comics that were going, what is this strange thing? Why is it here? Don't touch <laughs> right, it, right. you know? It might break yeah, something. See, you never delete any email because you can always search it, etc. And then Yeah, and, and now they've, they've, they've obviously <laughs> they've scaled that back. Well, now they're doing that with storage as well because you can imagine, okay, we each, let's say we each use are using our 15 gigabytes of free storage times how many millions of people i mean there there are probably server racks that are just handling data that has never been touched since they've been uploaded to the cloud yeah and i know i'm i i am personally guilty of that because i've used some of my google accounts the g drives for uploading storage it's just stuff i'm saving like I have all of the, we, we we were talking about this earlier, but I have all of this um, stuff from my old podcast is sitting in a G drive. And I'm like, okay, so now I've got to blow it into my hard drive here at home. I do have a couple of redundant backups, but I want to keep it somewhere so that we can continue using it. But I don't think I'm going to be able to now. I mean, I know I'm probably gaming the system by keeping things in different places. But I just think that it, it I'm just unhappy with Google lately. So that that's probably a bigger picture. We should talk about some time, uh, not necessarily today, but uh, as a segment in the future about where places to store your stuff online. If you need stuff stored in the cloud, uh, where could you put it? Like, so like Dropbox, yeah, Amazon's various options and how to use them effectively and cost effectively, especially. But yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so some of the stuff they talk about, like, so what what do they count as taking up space? So if you have a Google Drive, your trash counts. So empty your trash. In fact, they've implemented a new policy where the trash in your Google Drive is going to empty every 30. If a file gets old in 30 days, they're going to start to delete it. But starting June 1st, all this stuff is really sort of, sort of starts June 1st of 2021. New Google Docs, Sheets, Slides, Drawings, Forms, or Jamboard files, I'm not even sure what Jamboard is, will count towards storage. But your existing files won't unless they're modified on or after that date. So, Joanne, you might be okay with your... Uh, your old files that are already well, there. Well, that's what I'm hoping for. There's still the, there's still the inactive clause and that's the that's the part to watch for but it says all you have to do is once you get the email your account has been inactive for they say like three months before it gets deleted so your account has been inactive for 21 months log into google go look at your files and close it out i mean literally that's all you have to do yeah if you use the, the account if you're getting gmail or if you're, if you're if you're using other parts of your google drive folder right you're staying active so uh, now, now the one question I do have is with Gmail. Are they going to count using IMAP connections to Gmail? So, in other words, reading Gmail through like Outlook or some other mail tool? Because, like, I've got all my Gmail accounts logged into um, Outlook. Oh yeah, right. And yeah. so I'm I'm looking at them every day. But does that count for the inactive, or do I actually have to go to the Gmail interface, which isn't bad? It's not a bad web interface, but it's easier to use a, an as standalone tool. Does that count for the inactivity that I'm not there every day? So it doesn't ever, so that my Gmail will never go away. I I've never seen that. And I use most of mine go through a, through some, through something like that. So according to their, according to their help file, 
it, it, example of, of activity that counts is access email via API or a third party mail client. Okay, there so we go. So I would I would guess that that counts. So no, um, that's act, that's activity. So and the thing with the Gmail is your spam folder and trash count as well. So if you're running out of space, make sure to empty those. That you know, it, it, the, the, again, spam empties every thirty days, I think, and uh, trash. I, I'm not. I, I think they're implementing a thirty day policy on the trash as well. So that you should be okay there. If you get big attachments. You know, if you get multi megabyte attachments on a regular basis, download them and delete them from the the server. You know that sort of thing. Uh, but I have to say that w- Gmail is a hard one because sometimes it's not that easy to figure out what's taking up all that space. When you're, you know, if you've had a Gmail address for ten years or more, you could be approaching some of these limits. So what do I do about that? How do I save my email? you know, that, that old email. So there are ways to do that. We could talk about some of it, but there are some apps that will do that, that will download them into a database and allow you to search them. On the other hand, do you really need 10 year old emails anymore? Some people might for their job, but that you might need a specialized software for that. But my feeling on the whole thing is just that Google is starting to do a lot of these things and people who have Google accounts really don't understand what's going to happen to them. See what I'm saying? They, they, oh, it's free. I got a Google Gmail account and they don't know that things like this can happen or photos. For example, I had a friend ask me about Google photos and I'm like, you know, it might be a good idea to get your stuff out of Google photos and go somewhere else for the time being until because they just keep dropping stuff. Well, but, you know, we're, we're not talking about the one part, though, is they have Google One now, which is the all-in-one pay-for-it-all uh-huh. and keep it. Mm-hmm. And See, that's, that's what they want. That's the, that's, but, you know, let, let's not fool ourselves. Apple's going to do this at some point. Oh, yeah. They're going to decide all the free stores they're giving away is too well. much. <laughs> They, uh, they don't give Dropbox that much away. Yeah. That much. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. don't give that much to begin with. But you know, I'm still, yeah. I mean, Dropbox has already done this years ago, you know, because Dropbox came out and it was still pretty decent for free. And now they've dropped a lot of that. So this is, this is not Google doing anything that the rest of the industry right. hasn't already done. I think Apple was ahead of the, Apple was ahead of the curve by not giving, uh, giving away the house. They, they've always been pretty parsimonious. And frankly, I think, I think if you sell a phone and you're selling cloud storage, the cloud storage, the free cloud storage should be at least the size of the phone. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. you're selling a 128 gigabyte phone, you should give 128 gigabytes of storage, at least back the thing up, you know, or something along those lines. But yeah, the, and it's the Google one plan for a hundred, you get a hundred gigabytes for two bucks a month or 20 bucks a year. It's again, we talked about subscriptions. These things start at up 10 bucks a year. 20 bucks there that does get expensive but if you're a google person and you and you you're all in on the google services 20 bucks a year is for 100 gigs is not bad like so my personal gmail account i've had it for 10 years or more it's been my primary email address i have 5.48 gigabytes of 17 gigabytes used i must have gotten like a free two gigabyte somewhere um and that's for over 10 years i back up all my photos to google photos i back up yeah, I have a small Google Drive, but those are negligible. I, I I'm not wor- I'm not worried about this uh, biting me uh, anytime soon. So I'm content on my 15 gig storage plan with a 
some two gigabytes from somewhere. Um, but if you go to one.google.com there, uh, and then you go to storage, uh, everyone who has a Google account, uh, Gmail or whatever, has you can go to this. There is a thing to click on, you know, free up account storage, and it'll walk you through ways of, you know, different ways of discarded items, uh, large items. You know, you can review these things, large photos, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it works through some of the ways for you to free up space. So I'm looking at mine right now. I can uh, in, in trash and spam uh, folders in my Gmail. I have about 83 megabytes. Uh, large items. Uh, I have a, a bunch of very large items, somewhat large items, uh, that take up 1.8 gigabytes, uh, mm. which I should look at because that yeah. seems like a lot of. Sp- <laughs> I get some things in there that maybe I should get rid of. Um, so, I mean, let, let, I'll, I'll be honest. This one doesn't worry me as much, especially since they're giving you two years to make sure you're not inactive. This isn't like you got right. 30 mm. days, like some software does has done in the past. Yes. Um, so this this one doesn't worry me so much. It's the other story. Yes. Let's move. Let's talk about that one. So this is one I hadn't been aware of. Uh, Joanne, you forwarded a message for me from eCatholic. eCatholic is a uh, service that provides websites for Catholic parishes uh, around the country. It's a paid service. And they've let their client parishes know that YouTube has updated its terms of service. And the reason they're letting them know is because a lot of parishes put YouTube videos on their site. And what they're telling us is um, that YouTube's changed its terms of service to add the right to monetize uh, to all videos. And what is this difference here? So if you've used YouTube at all, you've noticed ads running on a lot of pages. Okay. But that's been through something called the the partner the ad partner program or something as Creator a YouTube program channel. or something, yeah. something like yeah. that yeah uh as a youtube channel once you've reached a certain level of of uh likes subscribers and views you can join this program and you share in the revenue from ads that appear on your your videos which is fine so you've chosen to be part of this N- now the new thing is is youtube has announced that they will put ads in any video that they deem is brand safe, quote unquote. So obviously they're going to put it in the things that are awful that'll make them look bad. But they they will there. So any video could have ads on it, including videos uploaded by your parish. So you know you could have a nice video of a catechetical program, and in the middle is an ad for children's cereal or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that is a bit concerning. Mm-hmm. It certainly yeah. is. Very much so. Um, and, 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 and of course, if you've been watching YouTube without an ad blocker, which I highly do not recommend, and you should have an <laughs> ad blocker immediately, um, you know how lousy YouTube has gotten with ads where it's I, I watched one video like on my phone or whatever. It was a 10 minute video and there were six ad breaks. Mm-hmm. 10 minutes seems to be the sweet spot when they start to really jump the ads in. Yeah. And it was it was absolutely uh, I just got gave up because it's like. You watch two minutes and you have an ad break. You watch two minutes, you have an ad break. It's like, no. And, and of course, you know, they're, they're supposed to have the algorithm that finds a break in the video. You know, it's like what, and it never works. It's always mid-sentence. Mm-hmm. Yes. Always. Well, the, the presenter pauses for a moment and continues. <laughs> well, oh, there must be a break. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, that's, I would, I wish they would have, some category for so there i'm gonna guess if you have they have this new youtube kids category i haven't seen the 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 terms of service 
But my thought is they've they've already said that they're not monetizing those. They're not part of the YouTube partner program. If you say your ad is aimed at kids, it can't run ads. I'm going to guess well, that's, that's going to continue. That's that COPPA Act. Right. Prevents them from doing that. So if you do primarily videos aimed at kids and have no intent on monetizing them, that might be a, a, a place for you. Although that also limits that puts certain limits you, on. You can't do commentary uh, or you can't do comments. Uh, you can't do like if you're doing a live stream, you can't have chat, things like that. And that's fine with me. And that's what I that is what I've been doing. Yeah. And that's something for people to be aware, though, that it does re- restrict if you want some of the interaction via YouTube. I think it might also restrict some of the algorithm for engagement and recommendation. So that that you could be cutting off your nose about your face in that case. Uh, I, w- I wish they would implement some sort of program for nonprofits to opt out of ads. Uh, I think that would be appropriate. And maybe that's coming. I would like to see that. But uh, certainly there people should maybe request it. If you have a nonprofit account with Google, which you can and you Church, a lot of churches are. SPPN yeah, has one. You, it might be worthwhile to contact them through that program and say we'd like you to include nonprofits in in being opted out of this. Uh, then the, there are other options out there too. There's Vimeo and other other ad, uh, video platforms. Yeah, Vimeo, I looked at, and it's not great in the free department. So that's the problem. It, what we've done in our parish is parishes is that we're doing a live stream and uh, it's through Facebook, which I am not a happy camper with, but that's okay. And then I put it on to YouTube and I do do all that. The safe for kids. Uh, we're not monetized because I know a lot of parishes around here are yelling. We need a thousand likes so that we can get actual live streaming. Well, that's so you could do live streaming through your phone. Right. They're not, they they don't realize that you can still do it through like a laptop. Yeah. But guess what? I think a lot of people are still live streaming masses through their phones. Right. Right. (laughs) And iPads. So, and that's what concerned me because I don't want to see in the middle of a mass, you know, some commercial for an inappropriate thing, you know, that, that would just be. Well, and if they're going to use their algorithm that finds blank spots, how many quiet times are in there yes. are there in the mass where youtube would immediately say oh this is a good time for an ad mm-hmm. you can have a dozen ads in the middle of mass right yeah. it's not clear that these will apply to live streams versus recorded now again if, if you have a recorded mass that you've uploaded mm-hmm. you don't want an ad to appear in the middle of it that's true right so yeah that is that is problematic uh, the, of course someone will say look we're we're getting this for free we have we've been we've been living for free on youtube's google's dime and and so maybe maybe we need to start thinking about if we if if we're going to be doing this long term maybe we need to be on a platform that we're paying you know either we're either we're the product or the or the customer and maybe we need to find a platform where we can pay a couple bucks and have our stuff there Again, it's the monopoly problem, though, which is YouTube is the video Mm -hmm. place. We talked about this recently. I think it was last week uh, where as Internet users, we've kind of got ourselves into a problem. There is a wide Internet, millions of websites, and we all go to the same handful all the time. (laughs) So we've made YouTube and Facebook and Twitter Mm -hmm. into the monopolies that they are because that's where we go. Yeah, that's the reason why we 
The only reason why I have a Facebook page is because of two other pages that I'm an admin on. And you can't be an admin on a page unless you have your own Facebook page. So, and so I have, that's how I do it. Do I want to be there? No, but I'll tell you, all I have to do on our Facebook page for the collaborative is put out, you know, there are no tickets for these masses for Christmas. And everyone knows within 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So... That's the yeah, that's right. There, there, there are all these alternatives out there. There's uh, Daily Motion and Rumble and all these other places. But I mean, they they don't have the audience, and that's so. I think w- what I would like to see is something like the USCCB as a collective organization of the bishops and maybe other churches organizations going to YouTube and saying we'd like you to exempt churches you know, from, from this ad thing. So that because during the coronavirus lockdown and then after, we're going to be live streaming a lot of masses and it would be inappropriate or give us a way to pay. <laughs> like, you know, if we, if we had to pay a couple bucks a month, you know, $2 a month, $5 a month, whatever it is. I mean, that, that wouldn't, I don't think that would break any church, frankly, mm, or, no. you know, $5 a month to, to opt out of the ads for our, our videos. Uh, so there, there needs to be more in this area. I think that before this comes into effect. Um, so we'll keep an eye on it and, you know, and again, if you have a nonprofit account to definitely let YouTube know. Yeah. Make sure that if you, if you've had a YouTube account prior to going nonprofit, that you hook it up to your nonprofit status. I had to do that when we went nonprofit. So it gave me a little bit more latitude. So some people don't realize that. Yep. Yep. Very good. It, it looks like um, the, the change is current for people in the United States. So if, you, if you're based here in the United States, you're, you're, they've already started doing this or can start doing this and but it's mid-year so july basically for europe because of course europe does have much more strict um controls as far as uh you know data Mm -hmm. protection and stuff like that so that's right in advertising yeah all right uh before we move on to our next segment i want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology including uh jolie g James S., Michael C., Samuel O., and David R., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. Uh, Now is a great time to become a StarQuest patron, thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter. When you start a new Patreon monthly pledge at sqpn.com slash give, the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor. So if you become a new patron at $10 a month, after three months, our donor will give $30 to StarQuest to support all our shows, including Secrets of Tech. So making your gift go even further. If you've been thinking of becoming a StarQuest patron, now is a great time to do so. So please visit sqpn.com give today. All right, uh, let's talk about some headlines. This this is one that is right up our alley at Secrets of Tech because it has all the things. It's technology. It's it's got a Catholic angle. Uh, a company known Caviar, which known as Caviar, uh, which by the name you know is they uh, they they cater to the elite, the wealthy. Uh, they create extravagant, expensive replacement casings for Apple's iPhone models. They have launched their new custom iPhone 12 Pro 
with it's got gold, real gold, uh, black and titanium uh, or white versions. Okay, uh, embossed. They have um, the front of each iPhone is untouched, but the back has a a, a signature of uh, you know a, a replica of Steve Jobs's autograph and the famous slogan "Think Different." And in the Apple logo, they've embedded an authentic fragment of Steve Jobs' original famous turtleneck. That's right. You can get an iPhone with a Steve Jobs relic. A a (laughs) third-class relic of St. Steve Jobs. And yes, that is total sarcasm because he was no saint. Yeah, yes. Oh, man. So, yeah, it's uh, the white model is made of composite G10. I have no idea what that is. Covered with jewelry enamel, and its Apple logo is made of 925 sterling silver, while the gold model is made of genuine 18 karat gold, and its Apple logo is crafted from 750 gold. Uh, if you want one of these, the prices start at $6,490. It goes up to 10000 I just want all my friends to know that I did not ask for that for Christmas, nor will I ever <laughs> ask for it. No. <laughs> so there will be, each phone in the series will be released in a limited edition of 10 models, while the custom, uh, they, they also are selling custom New Balance 991 sneakers, which are, uh, uh, the, the, those are the models that Steve Jobs wore, but uh, hmm. yeah. Yes, uh, it's kind of funny. I mean, we 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 laugh a little at the the you know, of course, you know the who would buy this? The ultimate wealthy uh, nerds out there with money to burn. But there's a there's an interesting thing about this, which is that it does recognize people do recognize this idea of a connection with someone through a relic. I mean, the Catholics have relics. We have uh, uh, pieces of either the possessions of saints or in some cases parts of their body like a bone chip or something like that that we have uh we keep as precious we put them in our altars or we have them in a reliquary uh in which we remember the saints and we give them honor and ask them to pray for us uh as we meditate in front of them Uh, so what do you guys think (laughs) (laughs) Um, thank you for the flattery because, you know, copying is, you know, what is it? Copying is the sincerest form of flattery. Thank you for copying us, but, uh, don't. (laughs) Don't, yes. Don't buy one of these. Well, one one key (laughs) difference is you're not supposed to buy and sell relics. Right. You know. That's true. um, But, you know, it's, let's be honest, this isn't being done because they're, they're seeing, Steve Jobs as some kind of saint to admire in life. This is something where people can, you know, those who are rich geeks can spend way too much money on a device. And didn't even mention it was it's modeled in the the iPhone four, which is the famous you're holding it wrong model. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's the 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 their uh yeah version that they're they're copying. Uh, it is based in Russia, by the way. The hence the name caviar. Uh, so it's a Russian company. Uh, company and it does feel very Russian oligarchish. Like <laughs> I can see a Russian oligarch having one of these. And that makes the idea of having a relic of Steve Jobs all the more uh, understandable, because of course. Orthodox also have the sense of relics. Yes, that's true. Yes. You know, it's part and they, of their they, culture. very, yeah. very, very similar to a uh, Catholic view on relics. So, um, and of course, we, we, we keep relics because we ask these saints to intercede for us. This is a way to have really a presence of that saint with us, you know. So, 
Um, and I, you could argue this is the same way. So do they, do they think if they have this this relic of his <laughs> of his turtleneck on their phone, their phone will never go bad? Like they'll never have a problem? Yeah. Like it will just miraculously work all the time? Yeah, the, the yeah. spirit of Steve is with me. No, they'll just yeah. have the desire to upgrade to the latest and greatest every every well, year. Well, that's because- the thing is. What do you do with this thing in a year when it's time to upgrade? But you have, if you've got money to burn, you got money to burn. If and you can afford a ten thousand dollar iPhone twelve, you can afford to throw it out and buy a new one next year. I w- <laughs> I wouldn't mind having a case where I could put a, a, my relic in it. I have a relic of Pier Giorgio Frazzati, and I have a relic, the third class relic of Pier Giorgio, third class relic of Saint Faustina, and a first class relic of uh, Blessed Mother. I mean Saint Mother Teresa, not Blessed nice. Saint Mother Teresa. So, uh, which I got from some of her nuns who in Russia. But, by, by the way, I misspoke, I misspoke earlier. This is a second class relic because it was a possession of his. Mm. Right. Third right. class oh, relic is something that is touched, touched to a first class relic. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah, that's right. And that's my Pierre Giorgio is a second class relic. It's like uh, from his shirt or something like that, but, uh, which was really nice. And it's nice to have these things. They're like remembrances of saints, of special people. Um Power to you if you have. Hey, all, all I can say, is, all I can say is kind of is, is closing. If you can afford a ten thousand dollar iPhone, my parish will take ten thousand dollars, and you'll get a lot more. It'll get a lot better use out of it. SQPN can afford ten. Mm-hmm. Can use ten thousand dollars, <laughs> yeah. and we'll get a lot better use out of it. That's right. That's right. All right. Uh, but uh, in the, from the the ridiculous to the more serious, let's uh, talk about this other story. Uh, there's Apple and Google have both announced that they're banning apps from their app stores that uh, use social tracking software from a company called Xmode Social. Uh, all right. So it we need to explain a little bit what's going on. So there's this company, Xmode. And what happens with a lot of developers is they don't write the, the entire app from scratch. It would be impossible to do these days. They're very complex. And so they will often use libraries that they purchase or license from other companies to do certain functions. Like I need to be able to do location tracking. So I'm going to license a, a library if it's not already built into the phone software to begin with. And so there's this company called Xmode, which has been selling this tracking-based software, location software. Uh, and what it what they've found is is that this SDK, this software development kit, has been it has added a secondary function of keeping track of people's locations and then bundling it up and selling it to other companies to use in their businesses or uh, they've we've also been found that they've been selling it to among other customers the U.S. military and who knows who else they might have been selling it to other uh, nation state actors and that sort of thing. Uh, that is a big no no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, the both Apple and Google have said you know they gave a week to to app developers and this the week has already expired. To remove the X, X mode from their apps, Apple gave two weeks, so that's about to expire, uh, or have their apps removed from the the app stores. Apple said there were 100 apps made by 30 different developers that included it. So not there are millions of apps, so this is not like a widespread thing. And I don't, I, I didn't, I, I don't know if you guys saw a list. I didn't see a list of what apps were they were, but um, I, I, I didn't get the sense that these were like, it's not like Facebook. It's not like apps that everyone would have. Mm-hmm. 
So all well, Facebook it, it, is still it tracking is, it. It is uh, something for, like you said, location tracking. And it, it's funny you look at their About Us page, and it talks about it starts out from an app called Drunk Mode because the, the founder got a drunk call in the middle of the night. And so the idea is this is an app that you can put on your phone if you know you're going to be drunk so you don't accidentally call some, do a drunk dial. Uh, but that, that's not a, not a good start to this company. Yeah. But, it, I mean, it looks like the idea is you buy – and, you know, I've seen there was a prayer software. I can't remember which one it was, where it would show people who are using this software to pray at that divine moment throughout office. the world. That's divine office. That's divine office yeah. is one of them. Mm-hmm. There's another one that does that. I can't remember. Probably an I pray or something like but that. But we don't know that they're we don't know that they're no, using, no, 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 this no, software. Right. using this software. But right. I'm using this as an example of what this software does. It allows developers to put into their software. These people are using this software throughout the world, and it could be something as simple as finding people to get together to play a, a board game, or these are people throughout the world that are using this app for tracking, or this purpose, or that purpose, or find this person, and things like that. And they're taking that, that, that composite data from all the different apps that are using this location software to then give it to, like you said, the... DOD or to government contractors who are giving it to the DOD, among other groups. If I could ask a question for those who might know more, um, could this be a result of some of the COVID trackers that have come out? Well, no, no, should not be not not directly. So the COVID contact tracing APIs, Mm -hmm. those are put in there by Apple and Google. Okay, that so that's Mm -hmm. that's built into the operating system and has privacy safeguards built into okay. it. They're not selling that data or anything like that. But there is there is a COVID con- uh, connection where Xmode says, look, we're not just selling this to, you know, the Pentagon and NSA to track you. Like our stuff is used by uh, national, you know, federal, like uh, government health agencies. They didn't, well, they weren't specific, who are using this to track pandemic related issues. Uh, so are people gathering in places are, you know, getting statistics and data on how people are moving around in the midst of lockdowns and restrictions and that sort of stuff. It, and and they'd say it's anonymized. OK, but. We didn't know this when we put your app on the phone, I didn't when I installed your stupid game or whatever utility app, I wasn't saying, oh, and please track where I go. Oh, remember, remember the movie service that really bad one a few years ago in the name slips my mind, but it was the one where I could pay uh, five dollars a month and go to any movie. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. And they eventually went out of business because the movie right. theater said no. <laughs> uh, but one of the ways they were trying to monetize it was tracking you from the moment you bought your ticket at home to when you got to the theater. It just as this this idea of like oh you they people go out to dinner and where do they go to dinner before and selling that data and like that was there was a huge uproar people did people still want to keep some privacy uh, just because I'm using your service even if it's for free doesn't mean I want to give up my privacy and let you track me wherever I go so this and this is at the heart of our criticisms of Facebook and Twitter and other social media companies too. Yeah, and this is this is the company. If you remember, right after COVID nineteen blew up, uh, that was that came out and said there's you know how many millions of of college students went down to Florida for spring break in the middle oh, of the pandemic, okay. and then they showed where those people went. This is the company that did that, okay. and I think that's where 
the questions started arising about what data they have and how they're using it. Hey, how do you know that, guys? Oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> the sad, the sad part is that the, the the tool that they use, where you can connect to people throughout the world and see where they're at and everything, is not a bad thing. It's just what they're doing with that data once they have it, and that's always the question: What are they doing with that data once they have it? Among the apps that were part of this were a couple religious apps. Uh, these ones are Muslim apps. Uh, Muslim Pro, which uh, notifies users when it's time to pray, and Muslim Mingle, which was a dating app. Uh, I mean, so for people of faith, that's concerning, you know, the, because faith is 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 one of our privacy private areas of our life that we want to keep private and affects our part fundamental part of our liberty as American citizens and uh, and people in other countries as well. So uh, very concerned. And, and, and so, you could you could see like for example with that that Muslim prayer app, what it does is it, I could imagine what it does is it looks at what your location is and says, okay, it is noon, it is you know, it is at dawn. You know, Muslim and, you know Muslims famously and Mecca they pray is at this dawn. Way. Right. Yes, exactly. You have to pray toward Mecca, so it you, Mecca is that way. I could imagine that being a fundamental part of the app Which, is that location uh, information. So, but it, you can you can imagine that there are apps, not just you know things like that, which could have a legitimate use for this type of of uh, data, but you can imagine there are apps that are much less uh, legitimate that are doing things with mm. this as well too. That you might not even know that it is tracking you in the background. Right. I'm glad that Apple and Google took action without having to be told to by the government yeah. that this was there's clearly something that they want to keep keep a lid on is this sort of data thing going out there. So let's I think we should move on from that point to our picks of the week. And uh, we have some good picks this week. Joanne, what's your pick this week? My pick is probably timely for those people who are looking at photos from years gone by while they're sitting in, you know, COVID tide. <laughs> um, it's called the Vivid Picks Restore, and it's a software that uses AI, artificial intelligence, to restore these your old pictures. You can literally, and I've and I've had it for a while, and I play with it. Um, and I'm quite amazed because I'm not a, a Photoshop person at all. So what this does for me is I take a picture that looks pretty yellow and I put it in my scanner. I scan it into the computer and it will, it will take a look at it and then it will give me choices. Do you want it to go to this? Do you want it to be this clear? Do you want it to be, do you want the colors just to be vibrant? Do you want it to be a little bit more subtle? And it will restore the picture. It's almost like what my heritage has been using on their on their site that you pay for, but this is your own copy of it. Um, it does it does JPEGs, TIFFs, PNGs, you know the whole thing, but it's forty nine ninety nine, and it's and it's downloadable, and it's not a subscription, and it will it'll add metadata if you want to you know put pictures in, and I've got a. A, a literally a tub that I inherited full of old pictures that have creases in it that have, you know, colors are going all different ways. And uh, I've seen it clean up quite a bit of stuff. So if you're if you're starting to do that, you know, because you're in COVID or if you're a genealogist who wants to repair at home and you don't want to spend all that money to go to MyHeritage, then this is something I would take a look at. There's a free trial and I'm still on the free trial because I have one picture left. 
<laughs> they, they let you do 10 pictures. It's not like a week or a day or, you know, a month. Right. 10 pictures. And then you okay. have, and they'll let you have the whole thing until you get to that 10th picture. The, uh, it's both Mac and Windows, which is good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it does slides. Yep. It does documents if you have old newspapers and things like that. So it will do, it'll work on that as well. Anything you can scan in or, to, or you know, that's an, an old picture of. Uh, you, if you know Photoshop, you could probably do some of this. I could you know, figure it out. But uh, but if you don't have that software, if you don't know all that, that this is a nice one click mm-hmm. and leads you through it. That's that's nice. Very good. Good pick. Father Corey, what's your pick? So I'm going to punt this week. Now, I, um, <laughs> of course, a uh, month ago we were on for uh, the Christmas gifts. And I picked one that I said was on the way. It was literally on the UPS truck as we recorded. And it arrived that day, and I've had to be able to play with it. And so what I picked is the Autel AL619 OBD2 code reader with ABS and SRS support. Long story (laughs) short, this is a car computer reader. This allows you to plug into your car uh, using what's called the OBD2 onboard diagnostic 2 port on your car that every car since 1996, at least sold in the United States, has had. And even some cars before that have had it when they were first implementing it. And it's a way to see what your car is doing on a way that your dashboard will not show you. Um, It lets you to see pretty much everything the computer sees, including, and this one's kind of nice because you can get some real basic ones that just tell you the OBD2 protocol, which tells you a lot. It tells you what the engine's doing and things. But manufacturers have added things since. And then you have uh, ABS, analog brakes, the braking system. You have SRS, which is the airbag system. Um, this lets you read all of that. And it can, I mean, it can even tell you down to, uh, you can plug in and you can see what your VIN number of your car is. That's how level of detail you can get. It knows everything about your car. Um, you can do live data where you've got it plugged in and you drive around and it's showing you your engine is doing this kind of timing. You've got this kind of fuel efficiency. You know, I mean, all... Uh, you're at this RPM, this speed, you know, I mean, it, it shows you a lot of that kind of stuff. Obviously, it can read the error codes. You know, you get the, the, the money light, also known as check engine light. When that turns on, you can look at those codes uh, and it will give you the code number that you can then go, you know, do a Google search or whatever and figure out what that's saying. Um, again, I said, you know, you can do all the computer stuff. You can do live, you can take that live data and it's got a SD card that you can then record that data to then look at later. So you can see, you know, graphs of what that data is doing. And then there's also a software that you can download that will let you see that on your computer instead, you know. So it lets you do, you know, so it lets you do as simple as just seeing what your car is doing and checking the, checking the uh, error codes to complex as if you're trying to tune a car, you know, if you're more of a, a hands-on mechanic, it'll let you, understand you know how you can kind of tune the car to get the performance you want uh the in the manufacturer they show a list of of uh, or in the the manual they show a list of manufacturers and it's it's all the big names acura audi bmw chrysler for gm honda porsche saab Vauxhall, which is a british one if you have a british uh reader uh renault Peugeot. i mean you name a manufacturer it's most likely going to work with it so most cars are going to work with it uh, just, it, it's nice for peace of mind to be able to, again, see that light turn on and say, if it's something that might be just a momentary glitch, 
you know, you can clear the codes so that it's like, oh, it's showing an O2 sensor. Well, let's clear the codes. Let's see if it comes back. Right. You know, because it, a it might be. That's a big one is clearing yeah. the code. Well, you know, one, one example where you might get a false code is if you fuel up your car and you don't get the cap on right, you'll get an EVAP error, fuel EVAP system error. And what that, you know, you might be, oh, no, is there something wrong with my fuel tank? Is there something wrong with my, you know, fuel pump? No, you just got to go tighten your, redo your gas cap and you're fine because new gas caps seal. So they need a full seal there. If that pressure isn't there, it throws an error code. So. Yeah. Being able to clear, clear a code and have it come back as a way of confirming that there's an actual error that that could save you a trip to the mechanic. Exactly. Exactly. And one nice thing about this, this one is it's got a six foot long uh, cable to plug into the car because sometimes these ports are very inaccessible. Right. They're they're under the dash. Like in the case of, in the case of my, my Ford escape, it's, it's kind of right next to the steering wheel. It's really not hard to get to, but in the case of my Dodge charger, it's under the steering wheel and back. So it's like behind the plastic under the steering wheel. So it's a little bit harder to reach. So that's kind of nice too. Good. Excellent. Good pick. Uh, still. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> again. <laughs> so I've got a little, uh, another one of my tales of woe, uh, but it has, it has to do with my pick. Uh, a few weeks ago, a little more than a week ago, uh, I was, I like to, I like to do crossword puzzles. I talked about this at length on Raising the Bets, my podcast I do with my wife. So uh, I will give an abbreviated version here. I like to do crossword puzzles during lunch at the table using my iPad and my Apple Pencil. Uh, one of the days last week I was distracted or something. I got up, I, I walked around the kitchen with my iPad, put it down a couple different places. Uh, when I finally came back to the iPad, the Apple pencil was not in its magnetically attached place on the iPad. So I had to, I was looking for it. I looked everywhere. I could not find it. Just, long story short, I literally did look everywhere. I said a prayer to St. Anthony, couldn't find it. I was just going to chalk it up to a loss and say, I'm going to do without except I realized my daughter uses the iPad to do uh, her Khan Academy math and they, it, it uses the pencil. So I sucked it up and went to the Apple store and bought another Apple pencil for, yeah, not, it's not cheap. Mm. And then uh, the other day I was sitting at, uh, and, and I used my pick to try to find it. I'll close out the Apple pencil story and then tell you about my pick. Uh, I went to, I sat, I was sitting down at the table with my wife, I turn around. Our toaster oven is on the counter next to the table. You have to picture this in your head. I turn around and look, and there's my Apple Pencil magnetically attached to the little tray pan that gets slid into the oven. And the only thing we can figure <laughs> is that my son made some English muffin pizzas, put, the, put it, and when he was done, he put the pan on the table where it sucked up the pencil and then put mm. the pan back on top of the toaster where I would never find it. So now I have an extra Apple Pencil, uh, which it's a little worse for the wear. I'm not sure what happened to it, but it's kind of scraped up pretty good. But in attempts to find this, I did some searching online and uh, asking around and people suggested this app called Bluetooth Finder. And the way it works is if you've ever attached something via Bluetooth to your device, whether your phone or your iPad, including your Apple Pencil, uh, you launch this app and it will you walk around with it and it will tell you if you're getting within range, if you're near the, the device, if it's nearby. Um, it So it's sort of like the tile trackers, except you you can't make the device make a noise. Right? <laughs> I can't make my Apple Pencil make a noise. Um, the 
the the downside is for some devices you have they have to be activated in order they have to be active in order to find it and the apple pencil especially it doesn't start looking for the bluetooth device until it moves and so they recommend you know walk around shaking things it didn't work for me uh you know because it was on top of the toaster <laughs> i wasn't shaking <laughs> you the, didn't toaster. Shake the toaster <laughs> yeah i was not expecting it to be on top of the toaster <sighs> but uh but it is a pretty good device and it uh, or app for finding your bluetooth devices um if you've got bluetooth headphones that have fallen behind the couch or that sort of thing or if you've or i mean your phone you if you have an iphone you have find my phone i suppose but um so would this be good for airpods yes although i i think it would work although airpods also work with find my uh okay but sometimes they don't work great uh the for one thing um the, the if you lose the case you that that doesn't make the noise that the airpods can um the newer iPhones have a, a directional bluetooth finding so you can actually say you're getting close or you're pointed in the right direction which i think is it was nice I, hopefully that becomes more prevalent in iPhones and stuff like that uh but yes it would be good for finding anything that's bluetooth connected so just uh it's $5 bluetooth finder so i spent the 5 uh and it didn't work for that but hopefully it'll it'll be useful for other things all right so that should do it for us for today. Uh, what did you think of our discussion? If you have any commentary on uh, the idea of hardware subscriptions, Google's policy changes, or any of the headlines or picks of the week, you can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. And you'll find links from our discussion and our picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com. Please remember to like each episode of Secrets of Tech on Facebook or retweet it on Twitter where we're at SQPN and leave us comments and you can engage with us there as well. Uh, until next time, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thank you, Dom. Joanne Mercier, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. Hey folks, this is Don Bettinelli with a, just a quick update to finish the show. I forgot to mention during the show, uh, we're going to be taking a quick break on Secrets of Tech for a couple weeks to, over the Christmas holiday. There's not a lot of tech news to talk about. So there will not be a show the week of Christmas. So the 23rd would be our usual release date. There will also not be a show on the 30th. Uh, we'll be back in the new year, January of 2021, you should expect a show from us uh, around the 6th of January, and then we'll be back on our regular schedule. So have a Merry Christmas and a blessed and happy new year.